I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Here Liverpool on the move. Nico Williams. Oh, it's in there! whose love affair with this competition continues. That could be interesting. Off the crossbar. And Origi is there! Extraordinary finish from him to finish it off for Liverpool. Okay, so Liverpool adding another away win to the catalogue, this time in the League Cup. But where does the competition sit in Jurgen's priorities? I think. We've all pretty much got an idea on that. And let's face it, we're all still revelling in that win at Old Trafford. So what went on in the days ahead of it to make it happen? Uh, we're talking about those two things today on the Red Agenda Extra Pod. is Simon Hughes with myself, Steve Hothersaw. So Simon was at Deepdale for that League Cup game against uh, Preston. Liverpool into the quarterfinals for the first time since 2019. And pre-match, I think at least the home fans were pretty excited about the possibility of Liverpool coming to town. Um, maybe when they saw the team sheet, they revised their thoughts, Si? Well, it was quite interesting, Steve, because the press room at Deepdale is was right next to a hospitality suite. We, we almost shared the same room. And uh, before the game, the the uh, the compere of the room invited uh, the former Preston midfielder, Paul McKenna, to do a little talk. And, you know, you've been in these situations before, Steve, at Anfield, I'm sure, where you have a chat with the former legendary player. And usually they're quite sort of upbeat about the possibilities in the game. And um, he was like, so, you know, final score, please, Paul. What do you think it's going to be? He says, I think we'll lose 2-1. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a great start, isn't it? Even if, even if like, the guy's being paid to show up, doesn't think that uh, Preston have got a chance. <laughs> um, so that did make me laugh, I must say. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Pre- Preston, I thought the first half were surprisingly good, you know, given that there's a really bad result at the weekend against Blackpool which is obviously a local derby, massive grudge match. I mean, I don't know whether in, in other parts of the country people realise just how much enmity exists between those clubs. So so to uh, to lose that game was was a, was a big one for them, They're obviously struggling in the championship. Uh, did they let Liverpool have the ball for sort of the first 20-odd minutes? Um, Liverpool just didn't really create anything. And then suddenly, a couple of chances come Preston's way. Could have quite easily have been 2-0 up. Um one decent save from Adriano, who, um, well, when I say save, it was obviously a save, but I don't think he knew fully where the ball was going afterwards. It could have easily bounced into the goal. But the second save was excellent. You know, um, point blank range, uh, Preston should have definitely scored. And then um, Nico Williams cleared one off the line. And then the guy who'd missed the first chance, um, 
which are referred to where um, Adrian didn't know where the ball was. He, he ballooned the ball over. So Preston really at half time should have been ahead, I thought. But Liverpool sort of calmed down the second half and scored. I would say two great goals. You, you say Nico Williams cleared it off the line. I'm not even sure Nico knew what was going on at that point as well. Um, let's just talk about perhaps some of the youngsters that were on the team sheet at the start. So Harvey Blair's name is on there. And let's face it, everyone started to do a Google on Harvey Blair. No, no one really knew too much about him. And probably rightly so, because he only played, I think it was about four games last season. He's never played under-23 football for Liverpool. It shows the, the size of the jump that he's made. So he's literally gone from under-18s to, to a first-team appearance, but clearly rated very highly by Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I mean, I, I must be honest. When I was driving to the game and I heard that Harvey Blair was starting, I, I knew very little if anything, about him, other than suspecting he was a teenager. Um, and a colleague, Neil Jones, who's been on this podcast a few times from Goal, informed me that he's from Huddersfield and Liverpool signed him from Manchester United when he was 11 or 12. Um, apparently from a family who support Liverpool and obviously that, that move caused uh, quite a bit of discontent at, at Old Trafford, I believe. So... Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's played for the under-18s this season, scored a couple of goals, got back into the team, has been playing well. I suspect, well, he, he wouldn't have played had Cade Gordon been fully fit and available. Um, but he came into the team, I mean, tricky for him because the first half, Liverpool didn't really offer much um, in attack. Now, he was playing on the right of a three. He usually plays off the left. Um, but I would say that you know the the, the the sort of the supply line to the to the forwards wasn't wasn't what Jurgen Klopp would have wanted it to be. So it was a tricky first half for him really, and then he obviously got taken off uh, quite early into the second half. But you know to get on the pitch at deep tail and full house um, will have been a great experience for him. I mean the atmosphere was was brilliant at deep tail. I've been there a couple of times for competitive matches when the stadium's rocking and. It, it provides a, a really good atmosphere. So for a young player who has never experienced that before, it would have been a real eye-opener, I'd imagine. So for him, that was the first time. For Tyler Morton, it wasn't. He came on in the second half against Norwich. And, and I think, you know, we spoke on the pod, didn't we, a few weeks ago of how impressive he was and how he managed to dictate things in that, that midfield when he did come on. Well, yet again, a really assured performance from him and an, and an involvement uh, in the first goal as well. Yes, um, I was really impressed by him. Um, watched him closely the first half. I got the impression that Jürgen Klopp wanted him to push a bit higher up the pitch because he was sort of the, the number six role. But at Liverpool, it's not really a, a number six in a traditional 4-3-3. They want the number six pressing much higher. He was sometimes falling a bit deeper, you know, falling into the sort of the back three just in front of that. And it, yeah, and Klopp always wants that number six to be a bit higher. So I could I could see Klopp sort of ushering him forward, but his use of the ball is excellent. He's very good in tight spaces. He's not afraid to sort of try and thread a, a difficult pass. He's got a really good long range, um, long range qualities in his passing as well. So yeah, I thought he was really good. Again, um, a player. I just I just like the way he moves across the pitch. He's got that sort of semi-casual way about him, albeit he, he, well, the way he passed the ball is with great authority. Um, 
so yeah, he's definitely. I think he's one to watch potentially. I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of him. I think physically he looks like he, he he can he'd be able to hold his own at the moment. He's eighteen years old, so you'd expect over the next two or three years him to become a bit more of an athlete. Um, but in terms of height, no no question marks there. Um, so yeah, yeah well, we, physically a lot of these. Younger players look the same. I think Jürgen summed it up nicely afterwards. He was talking about Tyler. He said it's all about getting him a body for adult football. Um, you, you could say that for Connor Bradley, couldn't you, as well? I mean, this is just a period of growth for them. It is, yeah. Well, I, I thought Connor Bradley did well when he came on, actually. I thought, um, you know, uh, I thought Nico Williams pushing up as a, as a right winger mm. did very well. And, and, and sort of his defensive instincts helped Connor Bradley as well to sort of push forward and and uh, try and contribute in an attacking sense. So that I thought I thought Nico Williams' performance was 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 really confident, which was good to see because I think he, he maybe he's taken a bit of a knock in after maybe quite a difficult year at Liverpool after breaking into the squad. Um but yeah, I agree. I mean I, I think that to, to play for Liverpool now, um you have to be a physical player. You have to be able to deal with the the sort of high energy expectation that Jurgen Klopp has. Um, and, you know, there's still some distance to go for somebody like Tyler Morton. I mean, if he, if he plays in the Premier League this season, I would be surprised just because of the number of midfielders Liverpool have, senior players, but and hopefully they won't get, you know, a sort of an injury list which, which dictates that he has to play. But... I would I would hope that over the next few seasons we'll see a bit more of him because he, he to me just looks like he's got he ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah, really encouraging signs, isn't it? Uh, look, before we get into the goals and the two moments of quality that settled the, the game, we we should mention Adrian really. I mean, the last time he he appeared for Liverpool, last time he started a game was February, and that was against Sheffield United. Kept a clean sheet, two 0 that day for for Liverpool. But he he's had a fairly tough Liverpool career, hasn't he? But that result wouldn't have happened at Deepdale without his saves, which you mentioned before. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought um, particularly the second save was an outstanding save, but we've seen that from him before. He's quite instinctive. When he's asked to rely on his instincts, he's quite good. I think it's when he has to sort of has time to set himself or he's got to think about his decisions. He's not as convincing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good performance. I mean, he has... The last year, sort of fallen away from the first team reckoning, and Quivy and Callagher is now the the second choice goalkeeper with good reason. I think he's got a lot of potential, but again, like some of the other players that we've just spoken about, probably needs to become a bit more physical to to really um, to really have a chance of of sort of getting more minutes. I mean, at the end of the day, he's got Alison Becker in front of him, who's in my view um, one of the top two or three keepers in, in world football if not the top goalkeeper so it's very difficult to say well he should play more games but um, for a player who has not played many minutes of football I thought Adrian did, did very well um, Liverpool's progression to the quarterfinals owed much to his performance I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is The Deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's go to the two goals, the moments that, that mattered. So the first, obviously Tyler Morton involved in a great raking pass. Brilliant work throughout the night. You mentioned it from, from Nico Williams in that sort of advanced role. Um, but Takumi Minamino, and I, I know some people have sort of interpreted his performance and said maybe he can play better. I always watch him and think, look, you know, this is a guy who's, who's giving it everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, his movement is... Is very good. We're talking about Minamino. Yeah, actually. Minamino. Yeah. Minamino. Yeah. Well, his his movement is very good. He picks up great pockets of space. I think. Um, but again, uh, there are question marks over the physicality. It's not just because he's small and and it seems to be quite lightweight. You know, uh, there are smaller players who have got sort of that core strength. Um, he, he gets himself out of difficult situations sometimes, but. You know, I just think there's a big jump, you know, to, to the players who are in front of him at the moment. You know, the, the you know the four names who we talk about all the time. So, um, the encouraging thing is he's played. He started two League Cup games and, and impacted both of them by scoring goals. Um, his finish for the um, for the goal um, last night was, was excellent as well. Not an easy finish. I mean, despite Liverpool's performance overall performance not being great, I thought the quality of the two goals were. Outstanding. Well, we'll go to the second because that's what everyone's talking about. I'm looking at the the thread that Liverpool have put on their social media this morning, which they've got these brilliant camera angles where they where they show every possible angle of of Divock Origi's goal. And you think of Divock's career at Liverpool, and there aren't many players that have got as many sort of chapters written or bookmarks, if you like. <laughs> big moments that he's been involved in. And yet again, that is another one. People will always refer back to this almost a scorpion kick, which he executed. Absolutely outrageous, really. It was outrageous. I mean, I, I was struggling to sort of describe it, really. Um, it was a really, really unusual goal. Um, it was just sort of almost in slow motion. And the ball sort of popped up in the air. Improvisation. How he managed to sort of get the trajectory over the goalkeeper from such a uh, short distance, and then for it to loop into the net—it was so delicate. Um, I mean, as you say, Steve, he, there's a there's an element of the improbable about Divock Origi. Um, somebody was saying on social media that he is a genuine cult hero, and he is because he's delivered so many moments in his Liverpool career that you just haven't seen coming. Um, and that was another one of them. I mean. I thought his performance was actually quite good, Origi, last night. He looked like he was really... I thought to me... I mean, I might have not seen that way on the TV. I don't know. But when he was off the ball and on the ball, I thought he was sharp and he was looking to try and make things happen. He was doing things quickly, which I thought was really encouraging. Um, you know, not without being outstanding, but I, I just thought, you know, he, he was on it. He wasn't, like, sort of treating it as a game that didn't matter. Um, but to score that goal, I was just like... As I said, it's very difficult to, to, to describe. Um, I mean, if, if a player had scored that in a high-profile game, I think it would be, you know, one of the goals of the season. Um, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I do wonder what drives Divock Origi, Sai. He's, you know, he's got so many memorable moments. His Everton goal, the Barcelona moments, this, this Preston goal. 
as well. Got his new contract, but he's clearly not involved in, in first-team football. Um, what is what is the ambition of this player? Because it doesn't seem like he's going to break into Jürgen's first team this season. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's a very laid-back sort of character, Origi. And I think Jürgen Klopp said a few times, hasn't he, that... Um, you know, if he if he if he believed in himself a little bit more, he would be, you know, a, a really 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 good player. I, I think we've seen at certain times in his Liverpool career, particularly early on, in Klopp's first season, when um, before he got injured in that from that t- sorry that terrible tackle against Everton, you know, he was really on fire at that point for Liverpool, and he he, he was leading the line in big big games. Remember him scoring in in Dortmund. Um, in a great performance, he, and it, it seems to me like he, he just doesn't have that that sort of that that sort of edge that, that maybe that the players in front of him have at the moment. But as I said, he just keeps producing these strange moments. So he's not a bad player to have around as backup. I mean, not that he should be the plan B, but I, I just think he's done it too often to sort of dismiss it really. And this season he came in against AC Milan. And, and, and performed very well. I thought he was decent last night. He played well against Norwich. So he's he's clearly sort of got a, a bit of confidence in his game at the moment. Otherwise, he wouldn't be performing in isolation in the games that he has. But my my concern is is what happens um, what happens in January. Is he able to step up when Liverpool really needs him in in the in the league games when potentially Salah? You might have to have an involvement. Where does that goal go down for you? Like last night's goal against Preston. In his list or in his list of well, just goals? just generally, is it well, is that one we'll refer to in the future and say, remember Origi at Preston? No, I don't. I don't think so, Steve. <laughs> I just may just mainly because of what's happened this week. I think perhaps the fact that Liverpool beat Man United on on um, on Sunday five 0 it won't be the story of the week. But I think I think it'd be a goal that you know sort of people might occasionally reflect upon. But there's so many, <laughs> so many amazing goals by Liverpool this season. You know, particularly you know. By Salah and great team goal, mm. I think it will possibly blur into, into disappear just, into the ether. Just because Look, we, we've it doesn't we've, you know, the game doesn't matter, does it, Steve? Really, in in the sense that it's not like it's not a big game, is it? But you, that is the perfect avenue into the piece that you've written. So, um, right, let's get to the to the point of the League Cup. And if you head to the Athletic now, you can read um, Simon's view analysis of the League Cup performance, but also the, the future of the League Cup and whether it has any relevance whatsoever. I think the thing that stuck out to me straight away from what you've written is the winners of the League Cup get £100,000. If you win one Champions League game, you get what? Two and a half million quid just for one game. It's remarkable. The gulf that exists here. I mean, it's no wonder that top managers have their priorities somewhere else. Yeah, well, I mean... It- to, to <laughs> I put it like this in the piece, you know, a team or a club would have to win the League Cup every single year for a quarter of a century to earn what they get from potentially winning one game against a a Danish team in the Champions League. So that 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 is why the League Cup doesn't matter, particularly to clubs like Liverpool who who trade on revenues. You know, it's. Uh, who, it's to the point of sort of well, it's it's repetitive, isn't it, Steve? But I say it millions of times, and this isn't me saying I necessarily agree with it, but they do operate in a really economic world, which means that every 
penny and every pound counts. So the League Cup, um, in terms of you know the 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 number of games you've got to play, particularly when you've got to play them, particularly the semi-finals, scheduled at really, really, really a, a bad time for a club like this season for Liverpool if they were to get through first weeks of January when they're expected to have players away uh, at the Africa Cup of Nations. Um, so, you know, it, Liverpool need the revenues of the Champions League to be able to invest in the team. Now, um, that means that the League Cup really just, just doesn't really take any sense of priority. So, Liverpool aren't the only team, of course. You know, a lot of, um, a lot of the sort of senior clubs approach the competition in the same way albeit interestingly Manchester City don't <laughs> although they got knocked out last night you know they they they, they I guess can afford um, to take it seriously I would I would like a, a world where where Liverpool did take it seriously but I, I can sort of understand the predicament that they're in so how does Jürgen look at it? obviously he's putting out a, say a second string but it's not his strongest 11 but then all the time he knows He's got a quarter final that takes place in December, and December's already crammed, isn't it? It's, it's packed. I mean, the last thing Jurgen needs is another game. We're already seeing some injuries in the squad, and then, as you say, a two-legged affair in January. Is there really any appetite for the manager to make serious headway in this? Um, I think it'd be interesting to see what he did if he did somehow manage to get to the final. And you know, I think sometimes when you got the the opportunity to go and win the trophy, he might change his mind. But he did say last night after the game that um, it will largely be the same group of players in the next round, um, whoever they play. Uh, and of course, even the quarterfinals comes at a, a difficult time for Liverpool because they've got now got nine games in December. I think it'll be the seventh of nine games just the week before Christmas. In between games with Tottenham away, which is going to be tough, you would think, and then Leeds at home. Um, and then after Leeds at home, you've got Leicester two days later. Um, so, yeah, again, I mean, I, I suspect he'll play a similar sort of team, players that haven't played so many games. But it, it, it that month, usually in December, he does use the squad as well. So it won't be like that those players who he'll be using in the quarterfinal won't have played any, had any minutes that month. So it might force him to use a few more inexperienced players that we haven't seen before so really sort of the, the calendar um, given the given the calendar and given Liverpool's priorities I can't see his direction changing and Jürgen Klopp as well to answer your question about if he were to if it were to change I think he is ultimately a fair man to his players and even if he were to reach the final I think he'd prefer to use players that have gotten there um, well, that that's an interesting one because, I mean, this is nothing new as a scenario, is it? And if, if you go back to, I can't remember the exact year, but do you remember when a youthful Liverpool team, including like Zach Whitbread and Potter, beat that Spurs side at White Hart Lane that had Canute and Defoe in it? Um, and I think for the players that were involved in that, I can't remember what year that was, 04? 2004, 05, the Champions League year, Steve, yeah. Yeah, okay. But of course, once they'd got through that round, I think Rafa Benitez at the time then introduced the senior players, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose there is um, there is a bit of a difference in that. In that it was Rafa Benitez's first season in charge. And if you remember when Jürgen Klopp's first season in charge of Liverpool, 
he did field weakened teams in the earlier rounds of the competition. The, 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 remember they went to Southampton with an unrecognisable team and thrashed them. Was it 6-0 or 6-1? Um, but as they got closer to the final and the final itself, it was obviously a stronger team. Now, at that time, the situation was different. I suppose Rafa needed to, to, to sort of make some headway in the competition, you know, early on, you know, to sort of get fans on side. Um, I think that resulted ultimately in the team that he put out in the FA Cup later that year, the famously lost to Burnley, a weakened team. Meanwhile, Jurgen Klopp, 10 years later, 10, 11 years later, um, was in his first season. He didn't have the Champions League to, to think about in that season or the following season. So in those two seasons, they reached the finals and the semi-finals. Now they're back in the Champions League. The priority is making sure that you stay there. Um so I can't ever see a change in direction from Jürgen Klopp. Maybe if he leaves as Liverpool manager in the future and the manager who replaces him might think in the first season that they're going to have to have more of a go. Of course, there's the other element to this is that Liverpool have since won the Premier League as well. Um, that That is off, you know, sort of off the shoulders of whoever manages Liverpool. So perhaps in the future, that priority, that, that obsession... I mean, I'm not saying it'll never cease to be an obsession because it always will be, whether they've won it or not. But that makes the pressure eases the pressure somewhat on any future manager. But I just think in 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 the in the in the current economic world of FSG, um, the League Cup will never be a priority. And ensuring that Liverpool finish in the top four, qualify for the Champions League, do well in the Champions League, will always come first. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get back to that. You, you've done a piece with James Pearce on how Liverpool, I say manufactured, how Liverpool prepared themselves for their, their win at Manchester United. So you've gone into some of the the minute details or the lesser known details of the of the build up to this game to analyze whether anyone could have seen it coming and after after you'd written it did, do you feel it it was always in the in the stars that something like this was going to happen so si? well i wouldn't say in the stars I, I think that you know everything is done to give them the best possible chance of getting a victory um quite clear to me that liverpool had targeted the weaknesses that united have and when the Liverpool staff saw the team sheet um, and the shape of the team, that he hadn't, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer hadn't changed the um, the shape of the team, that definitely played into Liverpool's hands. Um, I mean, one thing that was put to me that that I should have put into the copy, sort of worked my way into the copy, is that 
the problem that United had was that they're not, they're not a pressing team, as is proven by all the, the data and the stats which has been flying about. But if you're not a pressing team, you have to ensure that you're compact, you know, behind the ball, because otherwise teams will just be able to play through you, particularly if the opposition is a pressing team. And United were neither. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it, we sort of took the approach of it was it, you know it was sort of a week long um, journey to the towards this point at Old Trafford where it starts with um, Liverpool sending out uh, co- uh, coaches to Madrid to meet Allison and Fabinho on the Friday before the Watford game, and they had a good few days of training um, at uh, Real Madrid's training ground before the the rest of the squad arrived and. There was definitely that feeling that, that after beating Atletico, it gave the team a, a, a huge lift. I think sometimes, you know, if Liverpool had won 2 0 at Atletico, you know, it would have been a great result, don't get me wrong. But to overcome, I suppose, the adversity of have, surrendering that lead, but then still going ahead and winning in a very difficult ground, just gave the players that belief, that confidence, that bounce into the game at Old Trafford. And um, Jürgen Klopp was also able to give the players a rest on Thursday. Um, which which helped as well. I think playing the game on Tuesday was it was a big a big thing for Liverpool in that sense. So yeah, I mean, Canate was an interesting um, interesting choice at centre back instead of Joel Matip, but it was decided that you know with with Joel Matip's injuries injury problems over the last sort of 12, 18, 24, three years, <laughs> twenty four months to three years that, that it was a game where they could afford to put Canate in because he. Has the pace to to deal with the the counter attacking threat of Man United, um. So yeah, intra- I mean, there was a lot of smaller detail in there as well. You know, in terms of the Liverpool viewpoint from the the fortune that Man United has in terms of the number of players that that weren't sent off. I mean, they could have had as many as five players sent off in that game, which is just incredible. There was actually a bit of sympathy, not sympathy, but agreement with the referee's decision over Ronaldo, even though. Um, you know, I can understand why people were calling for him to be sent off. Um, in Liverpool, they, they sort of they sort of realised that he was entitled to go for the ball because it was there to be won. But he, you know, possibly, well, he did deserve a yellow card. The worst one was Fernandez, really. I mean, how he stayed on the pitch after nearly, um, you know, nearly giving Curtis Jones potentially what could have been a serious injury. Um, struck me as incredible and, and, and the staff is incredible as well. So, but yeah, um, after, after the game, uh, I think quite a bit was made of the potential celebrations, but the, 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 the sort of the, the, the reality of football and the way footballers live means that the players, there was only four or five players on the bus <laughs> that went back to Kirby because quite a few of them live south of Manchester. Um, and they were in work the next day at half nine. So there was no rest for them. That was the reward. It's quite interesting to see that, that Man United had the day off after such strenuous exertions. I mean, uh, I think it, from what I've been told, it was scheduled uh, to be a day off. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't send out the right message, whether the manager's in the business of sending out messages. Uh, obviously, that isn't the case. And and amongst those those smaller details, it's fascinating to know that he, even at 4-0 up, the manager isn't happy with how his team are playing. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, he 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 wanted at half time. He was really guarded at half time. I believe he, he he, you know, no cause for celebration at all. It was it was sort of put to me that the manager, most managers, most top level managers, really, despite Klopp being a very optimistic person, 
is often the most cautious person as well because you never want the players to sort of believe that that the game is done. It still needed to be managed well, um, and this was this was put to the players. But I, I got the impression speaking to you know the play or well, people around the players that, that that was never really going to be an issue because you know they're, they're highly professional, aren't they? Um, but it was quite interesting hearing about like sort of why they didn't sort of really go for the throat and try and score a few more goals, given that they had a long period of time with the extra man in the second half. And they just said, you know, the bearing in mind what I just mentioned, that the the, the 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 sort of the some of the tackles that United were putting in and some of the decisions that Liverpool weren't getting, they sort of thought, well, if we carry on going to score goals, you know, there's there's a risk that one or two more players potentially get injured. So Liverpool, as we said on on Monday, effectively declared at five nil. I mean, I, I think in another world, um, it could have been a lot, lot worse for Man United. I, I mentioned it at the start of this podcast. Um, everyone's still sort of reflecting on that. Get when all the fans head to Anfield on Saturday for the three pm against Brighton. Let's, everyone's got to spring in their step because they're still reflecting on that game, and that game already has a piece of history. You just feel. The history could be even bigger this season for, for Liverpool. They've demonstrated they've got everything they need. And we could be looking back in May at that United fixture and say, look, that, that was almost the, the template or that, that was the, the signpost for how the rest of the season went. I hope so, Steve. I do. I mean, I, I know after the game, Jürgen Klopp made an interesting point of thought because he said when Liverpool were thrashed by Aston Villa. He couldn't even remember how many goals Liverpool scored that day, but he remembered Villa had scored seven. Um, he didn't let the results affect him too much. Um, and equally, when they beat Crystal Palace by seven goals, he says he didn't let the results affect him too much, although the results afterwards for Liverpool weren't great after Palace, so perhaps, um, perhaps that wasn't the case. But um, I think that... Liverpool in an absolutely brilliant position at the moment. I mean, they started the season spectacularly. They scored lots of goals, front three, absolutely brilliant. Um, not as sure as they have been in defensive situations, but I think there's been a slight tweak to the style of play. Certainly more direct passes. I noticed yeah, even yesterday against um, Preston, first few minutes they were knocking a lot of long passes into the channels to try and get the Preston defenders turning early on, and that's... They've done that for a few seasons, Liverpool, but I think they're doing that a lot more now. Um, I think they're in a really good shape. I think my my only concern is, as I've always said, is January. You know, when how do you navigate that month without potentially having uh, the two leading goal scorers in Salah and Mane? I mean, Salah, take player performing like Salah out of any team, it's not going to be quite the same. You'd expect to drop points. You just you just would so. It depends how Liverpool are when they return. I, I, I would say it's it's really frustrating. I hope. I mean, the, the, I, I think that Liverpool do need to sign another striker anyway. That 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 despite Liverpool's performances, I still think that that is needed to happen over the next six to twelve months. Not usually in the business of signing players halfway through the season, Liverpool, unless it's Virgil Van Dijk. I really hope that there's something in the pipeline there because I do have a few concerns that in January whether Minamino and Origi will have enough about them to deliver when they have to game after game after game. Um, 
unless Jürgen Klopp has, some, has something, another trick up his sleeve, um, I think they're going to have to perform very well throughout December and January, given you know potential absentees in January to 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 have the sort of confidence and form that they have at the moment. Simon, always a pleasure. Thank you very much um, indeed. For those who haven't seen it, check out his piece on the League Cup and. Of course, you can uh, reflect a little bit earlier on that Liverpool timeline on the Athletic, on the build-up and what went round Liverpool's incredible success at Old Trafford. Well worth a read. Simon and James put that together, uh, put it together together. Um, that was the Red Agenda Extra. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Brighten up this weekend, Athletic next week. So, of course, we'll be back at the start of the week. We'll see you for the next Red Agenda. <laughs>